we are continuing our series through the book of Jonah. Uh, we have titled our series, When, when Insiders Go Out. Um, and this is what happens when Jonah, in some ways, very reluctantly obeyed God's word to go to the Ninevites and proclaim his word to, to people who had been very violent towards the Jews. And so this is, this is what happens. In, in chapter 3, Jonah 3, this is God's word to you today. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything, and let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God, and let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. So it's our practice here to spend a few moments in silence, and in that space, we're just simply asking for, for God to show up and to speak to us through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God of life. You are the God that brings um, life out of death. You are the God of resurrection. You are the God of um, change. And we ask now that you would change us. And many of us struggle to believe that that's even possible because we've lived with things in our lives for so long that it just seems impossible that things could ever shift, that this world could ever change, that our own hearts could ever change. And yet you continually call us back again and again and again that you bring into existence those things that do not exist and that you make things come alive which were not alive. And so would you do that? Would you do that among us in this room right now? We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I remember uh, a few years ago, Prior, prior to living in Nebraska, a, a boss of mine actually saying he was in sadness claiming that there are things in his life that he thought he's about middle age, 40s or 50s. There are things in his life that he thought by now would have changed. Dysfunction in his life that he was like, man, I really thought that I would not be this way deep into my 40s and 50s. And he realized, he was like, you know, I've, I might die with this stuff in my heart that that continues to plague me. And he said, Matt, I'm such an anxious person. I'm such an anxious person. And I have been for a long, long time. 
And it was it wasn't resignation, but it was it was grief, and you could see it in his face. It was grief over the things that were left unchanged in his heart, and he could see what it was causing in his life and in the life of other people. And what, one of the things that this passage shows us in Jonah three is that it can speak into a heart that thinks that, and it and it says that real change actually begins. When you learn how to grieve over sin, there's this phrase in uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 7 that Paul uses that I've been meditating on in relation to this chapter. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7:10. It would be wonderful if we just thought about this all day. I'm going to say the first two words, and I want you to think about it. Um, he says, "Godly grief." And I just want you to meditate on that. There's a type of grief that's godly, that produces repentance, which leads to salvation without regret. I'm serious. You could think about each word in that sentence. It's what's happening in Jonah 3, but godly grief produces repentance or change in a human being that leads to salvation without regret. I would, I would imagine that that's the center of what you struggle with every single day. Whether it's the ability to change your, your own self or the ability to change those outside forces or those people outside of you, which is impossible, by the way, but you desire change. And real change, as you learn, if you know this God, Real change is actually something that you cannot conjure up by your own willpower. It's active, but it's not something that you can activate in and of yourself. But it's a result of God's word convicting us. And we come into the realization that the way I'm living, the way I'm living is actually harmful to me. And it's hurting other people. And ultimately, it's hurting God. And it's polluting everything. And that's what's happening with the Ninevites. They realize it. And I want you to look at your text. This is how it begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is how change begins, y'all. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went to the great city and called out, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, just like that, quickly. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And in that little section, we see the three ingredients of how people change. And it's the word, it's conviction, and it's mercy. That the word, when it's spoken, convicts human beings of what's going on inside their heart which activates us crying out for mercy, and the Lord's pleased to give it. And the end result, and this is the beauty of how the gospel works in a community, the end result is that a violent nation stops their violence. That the blood on their hands goes away. And we'll get to Jonah and what's going on in his heart in more depth next week, but one of the things I want us to see is that, you know, the Lord, um, <laughs> the Lord can use 
anything he wants to use. Jonah, Jonah was like a terrible evangelist. You remember, he, like he was called to go to Nineveh, and where he went was that way, right? And then God supernaturally had him swallowed by a big fish and spit him out on the Mediterranean to go back and hike and actually do what God's like, let's do what I told you to do. And it, he was like beyond, beyond reluctant. It's like when you, when you tell, like your kids have a fight. Uh, my kids do. I don't know if y'all's kids do. But, but then you ask your children, like, hey, you need to apologize. And they say, ah, I'm so sorry, you know. Uh, and you're like, that, you didn't really mean that. Um, God can apparently use that to change an entire nation. Because that's what's going on with Jonah. He's like, I don't want to do this. And here's what we learn about God's character. He, he is so kind, and he's the God of second chances. Verse 1, look at it. The word of God came to Jonah a second time, and he's like, let's try this again. Let's try this again. Go to that huge city, Nineveh. It was an exceedingly great city. It's a three days journey to walk it. And most scholars think that that means it was like 40 to 60 miles in diameter. And within a day of proclaiming the word, reluctantly, mind you, they believed God and immediately repent. They immediately change. Verse 5. And here's, what I want, here's part of what I want to say this morning uh, with all of us here, individually and collectively as a community. Um, when repentance is welcomed, when repentance is welcomed in your own heart or in the heart of a community, then God has shown up. When repentance is not welcomed, God is absent. I've seen multiple instances where people who were exposed in their sin in very flagrant ways, like near-death experiences because of addictions, uh, credit cards being discovered by spouses who they were living a double life and the other spouse found it and they're exposed. And these experiences can jar the person who's caught into the realization. They realize, like, if I don't listen to this warning... I'm going to lose everything. They come to the realization like the Ninevites that my whole life is going to be overthrown and I have to make some significant changes. There's a guy named Cornelius Plantinga. He describes the experience of living a life when you refuse to change over a long period of time. He said it's kind of like knowing that at any moment the cop cars and the lights could show up in your front yard and like everybody in your whole life would be surprised except you. Because you have been ignoring the warnings the whole time and you know it. And maybe as you, as you sit here and you, and you hear God's word, as I hear God's word myself, maybe part of the reason why we're here today is that we are open to change. And we sense that that change comes through the word being proclaimed. And maybe you have had moments like these Ninevites in the past where things were unveiled and you heard God's word with clarity and you thought something must change. My friend, maybe it's not as flagrant as an addiction or a double life, but my friend who lived as an anxious person, my boss, he didn't want to be that way. That's why he was telling me. 
And you can see even the sadness of that is a work of God. That's the godly grief that I'm talking about here. And you see the dynamics of how it plays out in this king, verse 6. He stopped his violence. He confessed his sin. He grieved through fasting and sackcloth. And then he let go of control. Now, we've been saying over and over and over again here that we are a community that's constantly being changed by the gospel. And what that means is that the gospel is for those who do believe in Jesus and those who don't. The message is the exact same. That the king's repentance was immediate when he heard the gospel. Jonah's repentance was reluctant when he got God's word. And this is what we learn about ourselves when insiders go out and proclaim God's message. This is what we learn, and this is what changes insiders. And it's hard, y'all. God can be gracious and merciful to violent people. That's what insiders learn when they go out and proclaim God's message to outsiders, that God can forgive violent people. And how an insider responds to that is very telling on where you're at with the gospel. And we'll see next week what Jonah thinks about that. But for now, let's sit here for a moment. Many people in the church, we sing about forgiveness. We, we did it already today. We, we talk about forgiveness a lot. We read about it. But it's very rare that we actually cry out for mercy like what we see with this king of Nineveh. And secular people scoff at the idea of sin. That the main problem is actually something inside of us. And what makes this king different? What makes this king different is that he knew that he was a violent person. And y'all, this is the word, like the word's sharpness, its swiftness and how it works on the human soul. It can cut through our defenses. And we know it's genuine with this king because when he was convicted, he began to grieve and he knew his only option was God's mercy. You can read about uh, the, the Assyrian Empire is where Nineveh was. You can read about how ruthless the Assyrians were throughout history. They were famously brutal, even today by today's standards. You can go into museums and see what they did, even today, in Turkey. And this king, the king of Nineveh, had dehumanized so many people. He had killed children and women and weak people who weren't affluent, who weren't able to protect themselves. And if you can imagine the worst person living today in the 21st century, that person would look moral compared to this king. And what do we see? We see something that we all have a hard time with. We struggle with God's mercy when it is given to those who have personally hurt us. That's what's going on with Jonah. The reason why Jonah's mad is because God's mercy is unfair. This king knew that he did not deserve the kindness of God. And you see it in verse 9 where the king called out for national repentance and, and the end of violence. And he says, who knows, God may relent from his fierce anger so that we may not all perish What's happening in his life is that the cop car is pulled up in his front yard and he ain't trying to hide. He's like, they're right. 
I'm caught. Have y'all ever been publicly exposed? Laid bare in front of people? One of the great uh, signs as to whether that exposure produced the change that God intended for it, you don't have to be happy about the exposure. It is very uncomfortable, but eventually those who know the gospel are grateful for it. They're actually grateful to have been exposed. They don't regret it. They see it as a work of God. They see the warning signs of God's Word as something that they're extremely thankful for. Y'all, I have, a, I have a friend who was living the most twisted double life that I have ever experienced or known or heard about. And he said when he was caught, he said, I am so grateful that I was caught. That's somebody who knows Jesus. That's somebody who invites change. That's somebody who God can work with. When you reach out for the mercy of God, when your sin is exposed, you'll find it. And that's why when a, a true Christian, y'all, is, is they find gratitude in the worst places of their lives. Even if accusations are only partially true, they turn towards God and say, God, if this is actually in my heart, would you kill it? <laughs> would you eradicate it? Would you chisel it out? Would you help me change? Would you make me aware of when I do it again and, and make me willing to stop? Now on the flip side, you guys, and you see this in Jonah, an unrepentant person cannot bear that type of exposure. An unrepentant person refuses to say that the problem is internal. You always know if you're slipping into unrepentance when all of your energy and your focus begins to shift on how others need to change in your life. When that becomes the dominant thing about what makes you tick is other people, you know you're slipping into unrepentance. Y'all, we can do this even in the church. If you're sitting here listening to a sermon and you're thinking, you know, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. That's a, a, that could be a subtle way of you refusing to hear what God has to say to you right now. You're the one sitting here, and, and the Lord is speaking to you through his word, and the only way to lose with this God is to say, I don't actually need the forgiveness that that bad person needs. You've created a chasm between you and other people. And I, wanted, I want us to just think about, like, think about this king. How do, you, how do you think if the roles were reversed and God commissioned this king to go, Give his word to Jonah. Imagine how that would have gone. Hey, king, I need you to preach the gospel to this Jew, Jonah, the one whose people you murdered, and I forgave you. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah king, Jonah is struggling with how merciful I've been to you. The king would say, of course I'll go. And the reason why is because he sees his sin as greater than Jonah's. And that's why Jesus is always saying to religious people, people who are working, you know, in religious spheres like me, he's, he says, the prostitutes and the sinners get into my kingdom before you because they know my mercy. They want it. They, they crave it. But you religious leaders, you don't see what's on the inside of your own heart. 
And y'all, we can be a Pharisee about anything. Phariseeism exists in any realm. People who leave the church and have deconstructed are some of the most judgmental people I've ever met. And the reason why is because they have been so judged and hurt and burned by the church. And yet, when they leave the evangelical institution, they do the very same thing to religious people that religious people did to them. Y'all, that's how sin works. It's like a vortex that sucks you into the same behavior that you hate. But when the gospel has got a hold of somebody... It says, whatever grotesque thing I see in another person or in another institution, if the truth is told, it's inside my heart as well. And therefore, I don't have a right to judge anybody. You lose, you lose your, your need to be angry. The violence ended in this story and the only way it can end, through one's own personal experience of forgiveness. And y'all, that can change whole systems. It can change whole cities. Systems and cultures can change through individual people repenting, especially when leaders repent. And if you want to lead in the Jesus way, I want you to think about this. What kind of culture do you want in your family? What kind of culture do you want in your home? What kind of culture do you want in your classroom? Do you want a home where repentance is welcome? Where you can tell your children, you know, I messed up and I'm sorry. Where you can, as a parent, actually have space for people that are broken. And if you're scared of people blasting you, if you live that way, they just take advantage of, of your honesty and repentance um, you got to always remember what Ahmad was reminding us of. Um, there is only one who can touch the life beyond this one. The Apostle Paul, we learned when we were on our trip to, to um, Ephesus, was ready to run into an angry mob of about 25,000 people wanting to kill him so that they could hear the gospel. And uh, I was thinking about that when we were over there and been mulling that over this week uh, and remembering how Paul himself was converted, how he changed initially. And Paul was converted through listening to a guy named Stephen give him the word of God. And when Stephen was preaching the gospel, people were killing him as he was preaching. And yet, Paul, I think, saw something in Stephen that wasn't yet in his heart, and it was that Stephen had no violence or anger, even towards people that were violently threatening him. And I believe that that experience drove the whole of Paul's ministry. And this is how God, he uses, you guys, he uses our disobedience and our dysfunction to spread the gospel. And I know that's strange to say. But God uses Jonah's disobedience for the conversion of this whole city. In the same way that God uses Paul's violence and the conviction of his sin to convert the Gentiles. Um, we were, and uh, last, I know I'm using a lot of examples from this trip we just took, but it was so impactful. Um, this uh, tour guide, in, he was Greek, 
the very last day on our tour, he took us around to these tools that were used to, to carve all these beautiful stone pieces in, in Greece and in Turkey. And it looked kind of like a chisel. And he said, you know, the word we use for these tools is the word character. That a, a chisel in Greek is actually the word character. And I've been mulling that over a lot. That part of what God does to us is that he chips away constantly, and it hurts. He chips away things to make us into something that looks exactly like him in the world, his image. And that's what you're destined for. You're you're destined to look like God in the world, to image him in the world, and you can through Jesus Christ. That that's what's given to you. He is the exact character of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And in our union with him, what he does is that he begins to renovate. He begins to call us to change. And then he can also begin to allow us to long for change ourselves. So that we participate in that work of change in our own hearts. We become, and if you're around somebody like this, you can tell that they're bent by life, but they're not bitter. That they're scarred, but not cynical. And it's so powerful to be around somebody like this because you can almost feel revival welling up in your own heart because you were were made to be like that too. That's what's happening in Nineveh. A revival happened to a very wicked city. Next week, we're going to see that Jenna really wasn't that happy about it. And I think that's a message that the church needs to hear. And what, what Ahmad was you know, telling us, like, do, do we want people to convert? Do we want outsiders to actually come in? Because if we don't take the word out to those beyond the walls of this church then that, that's telling over what our hearts have done with the message that was given to us initially. And the beautiful thing about when we do engage in that work, God, God moves and he changes people. And then we get to know what our hearts will do when he does move in the world. Look, y'all, you, you were made to look like God. And... Uh, by the mercy that's found in Jesus Christ, you will. And one of the things that we get to do as the church is we get to participate in that through evangelism, but also equipping on the inside and saying, okay, we need the very same gospel that we're given to other people. Oftentimes we learn that through other people getting converted, that we've, we drop the, the thing that changed us. And so uh, let's pray, and we get to confess sin um, and come to this table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that the Word of God comes to people like Jonah a second time. And we thank you that the Word of God brings conviction to cities that need to stop being violent and stop murdering. And so, Lord, we thank you that the gospel does that which it was always intended to do which is change us from the inside out. 
And so as we confess sin, would we remember that repentance can be a joy? It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. And uh, it's a saving grace, Lord. And so help us to lean on your mercy today and join us at this table by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.